Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, quick note before we begin the show. Listen, we are very lucky to be able to keep operating through this. We are lucky that our work can be done remotely and we're committed to not just maintain our publication schedule, but to exceed it with things like our isolation interviews. But we are absolutely feeling the pinch. Nobody is unaffected by this financially, and we're going to fight hard to preserve every job here. We're going to give you our best work for as long as this goes on. So listen, please make sure that you have what you need first. But if you are able, this is a time when we could really use your support. If we have been a positive part of your life throughout this, please be a part of Sustaining Canada Land. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe to the show in minutes. Support us for five bucks a month Canadian. It just takes a moment if you go to your show notes and hit the link. Bloop. It just puts a premium podcast feed of the show with no ads on your podcast app. You can do that as well through canadalandshow.com slash join. And if you already do support us every month, one way or the other, and you want to send us some additional support, the best way to do that is to e-transfer it to us at support at canadalandshow.com. Thank you. Jan Wong, journalist, professor, author. Hi. How are you doing? Joining me from your home in Toronto. Yes, that's right. Under self-isolation. Jan, um, we are going to talk today about the spread of false news and fake information like so much virus throughout the media. Okay. 
Okay. We'll talk about the spread of layoffs, cancellations, and closures, like so much virus throughout the media. <laughs> and we will talk about the spread of coronavirus, like so much cliche throughout the newsrooms <laughs> of this land. Like so much metaphor, so much tired metaphor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I will strive for greater originality as we proceed. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Christina Bianchi, Jeff Harrison, Michael Benham, Blair McLeod, Amar Khan, Patrick Audley, Francis Kim, and Alex Braden. I'm Alex Braden, a law student in Ottawa, Ontario. I started listening to Canada Land in 2013 because I'm a news junkie and nobody else was doing what Jesse was doing, giving me the inside baseball on Canada's news media. I started supporting Canada Land in 2016 because I recognized its true value Introducing me to people like Desmond Cole, Vicky Machama, Ryan McMahon, and Sarah Haji. People who, along with Jesse, helped me see things from a perspective much different than my own, and different than what I get from traditional Canadian media. Jen, we'll go broad again for our first topic, as we did last week on this show. Just overview sense. Everybody is just hitting refresh and everyone's a news addict all of a sudden. How do you feel the Canadian media writ large is doing? Because I kind of feel like we're doing pretty good. I feel like the coverage is by and large, with some exceptions, it's been pretty responsible and, and decent with, you know, we don't have that much information, but there's a, so much interest. What's your take, Bean? Well, I feel a lot of empathy and sympathy for my colleagues in the field. It's a fast changing story. And I'm sure they're really exhausted. And I think they are doing a really good job. But I do have, I do sometimes want to yell at my radio because I think, I think some of them are checking their, their normal hard nosed reporting and skepticism at the door. For instance, you know, there's interviews with people who have elderly parents in a care home and they want to go and visit them. And the reporter just goes, yeah, yeah, that's such a terrible thing that they won't let you in without asking some tough questions like, well, are you okay with everyone else's parents going in? And are you okay with your, your mom dying of COVID-19 because if they let anybody go in? I mean, I find that really annoying that they're not asking the tough questions. And all those travel stories of people in Morocco, like, first of all, what's happening in Morocco that nobody told me about? How come everyone's in Morocco? But these stories about Canadians stranded in these exotic locales, I would like just a couple of questions. I would like them to ask, um, so when did you go on this trip? Did you go before or after the travel advisory? And why do you think, as a Canadian citizen, that your leisure travel right. is entitled to rescue operations by the government? Why do you think that foreign affairs has to spend all this time worrying about getting you back? And by the way, who's paying for these flights? So those questions are, I feel like sometimes the media checks its brain at the door and they're not, because it's a crisis and they're in full empathy mode, that they're not asking tough questions. I feel partially guilty. Listen, this is what I think is happening. I mean, I see really encouraging things happening with uh, news organizations really finding their like prioritizing the, the role they play in this public health crisis and putting out the right information. So when it's a health story, can you do this? Can't you do this? Explainers on how you should be acting. I think there's diligence, dropping of the paywall so everybody gets the information. A lot of really encouraging things. But every single bit of content is about this. 
right? And yeah. it's just so easy for something to slip through. I made a, a, an error where I was interviewing somebody uh, who was under self-quarantine and they happened to mention that they snuck out for groceries. And it was I was in that empathetic interviewer oh, mindset and it completely, yeah. I, I didn't even think to say, oh, should you really be doing that or that's not advised? Right. And later edited it out because I just, like, a role, like part of <laughs> You it is, edited it out? Oh. Oh, afterwards, <laughs> totally. I put a note saying that, you know, we always explain when we do that, but I, I you know, okay. if you just heard that interview, you might think that it's okay to do that. Oh, and, good. Uh, okay, like, that's the last thing I want to do is, yeah. is uh, you know, it's not even about information at some point. It's like giving the sense people are trying to figure out like, OK, but what's actually OK and what are people really doing and what can I get away with? And I don't want to contribute in any way. So I don't know. It's 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 easy. Like I have sympathy for news organizations for when little errors like that come in around the margins because I want that sympathy myself. But I also right, feel right. sorry for news organizations when things that are completely out of their control happen. For example, a retired journalist tweeting oh, yeah. false information. Did you? Yeah, that was bad. Terry Malefsky, Jan Wong, can I tell you, as coincidence had it, I reached out to, uh, before this happened. I had just sent Terry Malefsky, with, with whom I've had a testy relationship in the past. I sent him a, like a nice invitation saying, hey, can I do like one of these isolation interviews with you? I think it would be nice for people to hear us not at odds with each other, just checking in. And then <laughs> I look at, at Twitter and everyone is just furious with Terry Malefsky. I'll summarize this for people who who uh, missed this skirmish. Like I had seen this false information going around, like my aunt uh, or a cousin, I think, you know, emailed it to me. And so Malevsky here, he tweets out clear and useful advice sent today to staff of the British National Health Service. And then he pastes this um, this missive that I had seen elsewhere, which states that, uh, you know, here's how to test if you've got coronavirus. You can just hold your breath for 10 seconds. Here's what Terry Malevsky writes. The NHS bulletin advises that the virus hates heat. So if you think you've got it, drink hot stuff to kill it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think he was, you know, in good faith. He thought that this was actually real information. He thought it was from the National Health Service. And people very politely said, dude... You might want to check your source because I am pretty damn sure that that is absolute hokum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people were very like, you know, to get through to Terry, you got to be like, hey, lots of respect for your journalism. When I was in toddlers, you were practicing <laughs> the craft at a high level. But maybe, you know, because you're so respected, because so many people listen to you, you might want to delete those tweets. And he just dug in his heels for hours yeah. and hours. And people, yeah. Robin Doolittle is, you know, Jane Litvinenko who, fact checking for buzz. People are like, dude, it's false. It's going to hurt people. Take yeah. it down. Yeah. Finally, he took it down. But he didn't recommend the aquarium cleaning cleanser, right? No, he did not recommend Trump's, uh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, drink this. The anti-malarial, which also is in a non-ingestible form, which a, a guy died over. Like yes. bad advice, bad media can kill people right now. Right. And I think, so your point is really good that journalists are not like other people. They have a, a platform and they have an authority. And they have to be really careful. And uh, Terry Molesky has retired from the CBC, but he still uses a Twitter handle that has the CBC in it. And I don't think that's appropriate. I think when you've, <laughs> when you've retired, could you just like retire? Why are you doing this? But also the second level is you should not be tweeting out health information like that based. I think he said he had some relative who worked in the UK for the health authorities. I don't care. That's not good enough. So you shouldn't be doing that. You should be 
extremely careful because you have a platform and you have a following, so you can't do that. And the fact that he dug in his heels is kind of terrible. He should have apologized and taken it down right away. Yeah, it finally got through to him. And, and it was interesting to see when reporters went to, you know, Jonathan Goldsby here went to the CBC for comment and said, like, you know, he still calls himself a semi-retired cbc <laughs> and his Twitter handle is CBC Terry. And that's not just Terry. Like, you know, my whole conflict with him started when he, out of his retirement, came in and guest hosted Power in Politics and asked questions of Jagmeet Singh that I thought uh, yes, were not. Yeah, I remember. You know. So he was semi-retired. Really sort of racist. Yeah. yeah, he he was, you know, will like basically asking him to take a, like a loyalty oath. Anyhow, I, I, you know, and Terry dug in his heels then, too, and just like for months just called me every name in the book for daring to criticize him. So I'm curious. I'm curious. Did he answer your invitation to come on or did you rescind your invitation or did he totally ignore you? <laughs> he has not answered. I mean, I sent it through an intermediary because I don't actually have a, a direct line to him. Right. So I assume that he received it, but I don't know for sure. And I have not heard back from him. OK. And I would still I would still totally do it. I don't rescind it because it's not going to be a forum for him to spread uh, you know, erroneous health information. Right. Right. I don't think he'll take me up on it. But Terry, if you're out there listening, I'd be happy to to chat with you for an isolation interview. OK. CBC said. It's unfortunate that in retirement, Terry Molesky chose to keep the Twitter handle that he used during his career at CBC. Ouch. Yeah, I, mean, I know. You know, warranted, but that does like, oh, like, you know that that is going to wound him deeply. <laughs> well, he shouldn't use it. Basically, he no. shouldn't use it. He's not affiliated with the CBC. And they, as you say, the journalists there have been doing an incredible job. So, and, you know, really working so hard and trying their, their utmost to get correct information out. So, you know, they should just order him to take it down, you know, like they would in China. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the vibe right now. Can't we be more like, okay, it's not just CBC or ex-CBC, uh, Globe and Mail. I want to know what you think about this is, you know, because we, we still have freedom of speech, Jan, and, and a robust yeah. public discourse. Yeah. Lawrence Martin, columnist for the Globe and Mail, asks of Trump's new methodology and, and his uh, about face that uh, America is going to be back open for business by Easter. Is there method in Trump's madness, asks Lawrence Martin. You know, Trump says that more will die from suicide by shutting down the economy. That is debatable, says Martin. If the economic inactivity lasted for months and brought on something resembling the Great Depression, Trump could well be right. Yeah, I think I think it's terrible. I think uh, it's another example of a journalist being very cavalier with their platform and writing something very dangerous. I don't think there's any question among health professionals that what Trump is advocating, a return, you know, let's all have... Uh, Easter dinner together. Let's all go to church. Of course, he's presuming everyone's Christian. Let's all go to church on Easter Sunday. I think it's outrageous that the Globe and Mail, I know it's an opinion column, but I think it's outrageous that the editors didn't say, forget it. What are you talking about? Because that, that kills people too. It trivializes the pandemic. And I think mm -hmm. for journalists, we can't do that. And I know he's trying to be controversial and he's trying to be contrarian, but a pandemic is not the time to try to be controversial. And you mentioned freedom of speech, and I think there's a very interesting philosophical discussion about freedom of speech. I think um, Lawrence Martin can shout in his own living room about what he thinks, but freedom yeah. of speech and your platform are not the same thing. You don't have the right 
to a platform, a big public platform like that. But you certainly can talk to yourself in your living room or you can talk to your friends. You can phone up a pal and say what you think. Nobody's going to come and arrest you and shut you down. But I do think there's a big difference between individual freedom of speech and the responsibility journalists have for uh, using a big platform like the Globe and Mail. I tend to agree. And I also think that we should be clear about what it is that he is, I think, lending some support to a uh, very, you know, almost cynically, suggestively, like maybe it's a good idea. The idea that he is contemplating and, and I think laundering is the idea that it is uh, expendable millions of lives. Right. Primarily older people uh, and yeah. infirm people like, eh, they're done anyhow. They're sick anyhow. Are we all going to have to suffer to spare them? I think that that is uh, like definitively a, a fascist, almost a eugenics kind of a philosophy. That's right. And I think it's one that we have relegated to like, no, that humanity, people's lives are not, that's not a matter of debate. We don't do that. Yeah, so, we've been through that. We've been through that yeah. in World War II. And we had the eugenics movement in the 50s. I mean, we're done with that. We have decided that as a civilized and democratic nation, that we, we take care of the weakest and the poorest in our nation. We don't just say, well, gee, to get the economy going, we're okay with a million people dying. That's fine. Because in the end, our GDP will go up. <laughs> and so I, I just think it's a horrible that the Globe and Mail printed the column like that. And I don't think this is the time to be contrarian. Sometimes it's just a question of being tone deaf. Uh, here's another Globe and Mail piece. Financial facelift. Can this couple semi-retire in their 40s, even after the coronavirus crisis? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, I don't know. Can they? Oh, I'm really pulling for them. <laughs> I know. This pandemic is no joke, and I think that... People are gradually adjusting mentally, right? They're just gradually, gradually getting it. And everybody's moving at different speeds. So we have to be somewhat sympathetic to ordinary people who don't get it right away. But I i don't think we're sympathetic to journalists. We have to hold them to the highest standard. It was so interesting that um, Doug Ford said that the news media is an essential service after all that he's put people through. But I also feel we are an essential service. It's just too bad that nobody is subscribing to newspapers anymore. But, you know, you can see yeah. how glued everybody is to the news, no matter how they consume it. You can see how important it is. And if we didn't have at least, you know, a few journalists still standing, we'd be in real trouble. I mean, I think we're finding the value of it right now. I will I will note, and this is so you can kind of interpret this as a, selfishly if you like, but you know, I always felt that as, as soon as the government got in the business of determining who's a journalist and who isn't for the bailout, that opened the floodgates for them to do that in other contexts. And it's interesting to see, as the, at least in Ontario, as they define essential services, and, and you know, I'm glad to see, of course, the media is on there. Media is defined by virtue of which media? Like, it's TV and radio and newspapers, but online media is not considered essential service media. Now, we, we can work remotely and, and keep publishing anyhow. But I did raise an eyebrow at like, oh, it's interesting to see how the government is, is is asserting who's in and who's out. It has nothing to do with the credibility of the information. It has nothing to do with even the audience size. It has to do with whether you're using legacy technology or new technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet so many people are just consuming media online now. I mean, they're just at their laptops and um, their phones and they're just consuming the online media. They're not consuming you know, the traditional. And you know what's interesting? Um, people, the, some news organizations have ended the paywall for coronavirus and everybody's patting themselves on the back. But frankly, that's just a marketing move. 
right? They just want to make sure that after this is over, you'll maybe subscribe. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them providing that public service and then saying, hey, remember when we dropped the paywall? Yeah. You know, that's okay with me. Speaking of management, uh, Jan, let's talk about how they have been responding. I think that journalists have been rising to the occasion, and I think that some management has been acting rather cynically. I'm going to read from a Globe and Mail editorial that was written by Robert Hurst, former president of CTV News. Shame on the CBC for closing its local newscasts amid the coronavirus pandemic. And then, uh, I I don't think he can resist um, referring to himself here. During 9-11, when I was running the CTV station in Vancouver, we placed TV sets on the street as hundreds gathered to watch our coverage. Oh, boy. Yeah. During the 2009 SARS outbreak, 44 people died in Canada, many of them in an apartment complex four kilometers from the CTV newsroom in Scarborough. We all took appropriate protective measures then as journalists do now. I have been in war zones. We did not run away because the war zone was dangerous. We evaluated the risk, mitigated, and did our jobs. And so so first, you know, this decision by CBC to shutter, uh, which they've since reversed, their local supper hour and late night local TV newscasts, there was some suggestion that they were doing this for safety reasons at CBC. And he says, damn it, I I, I love danger. I'm a journalist who eats danger. You know, fuck you. Yeah. Um, But then I think he actually gets to something here. He says, today, CBC English language local TV news is dead last in almost every Canadian market. And here is, I think, the rub, which is that It's been long speculated that the local newscasts did not have support from CBC Toronto management ever, and they were looking for an excuse to get rid of these very expensive and poorly watched. Now, maybe they're poorly watched because they're poorly resourced because management doesn't care about them. Mm -hmm. Neil McDonald, another retired CBCer, at least from a new, uh, since he left Twitter in a huff, he's back at a non-CBC Twitter account. And Neil McDonald says, maybe it's just an attempt to finally stick the knife in local TV news. The elite at CBC disdain local news. And he can't uh, resist the urge to somehow refer to himself as well. I confess, I never even considered local because he's too great a journalist to ever consider oh local. Oh, my God. Respect. Wow. I mean, these guys, it's... it's. Uh, anyhow, I do think that despite their um, tendency to talk about their former careers, they are <laughs> on to something when they're suggesting that CBC is shamefully, I think, never being supportive of these newscasts. What do you think about this? Have you been following this this decision from CBC? Yeah, well, I lived in Fredericton for, you know, nine years, and my graduates work at CBC Fredericton, so I'm I'm intimately aware of the staffing, the hiring, uh, the failure to give them more than casual for years. You know, some of the really great journalists I think work for five, six, seven years before they got staff positions. And that's not conducive to good journalism if, if the journalist is always afraid they're going to lose their job. But I think the CBC's reason for cutting the evening news for about a week, the local news was they couldn't cope technically. That's what I think. And I believe that's true. They just couldn't deal with it. So they decided to centralize operations until they could get their act together. And I think they're slowly resuming the evening news in local uh, regions. And I have to say that having lived in Atlantic Canada for a long time, people there do really want local news. They don't want they don't want to watch Toronto. They hate Toronto. Believe me, they really hate Toronto. I have to be very, very discreet when people say, where are you from? I try to get away with saying, well, I was born in Montreal. And then I hope they don't ask a follow-up because they don't like Toronto. So these guys, these big journalists who go, well, I don't know about local news. I think they're wrong. I think 
people appreciate it. And yes, they often are not first in the market. CTV beats them or Global beats them. And I think that's because the CBC doesn't get the resources. So whether this will change now, I highly doubt it. I think they're going to continue to starve the local bureaus. But I think it's coming back. That was just a technical problem for a week. They just couldn't manage it. And mm. I sort of sympathize. On the other hand, you know, I, I think newspapers get it out no matter what happens. They always publish. So I don't know. I think these guys are talking about their careers and how great they are. And, <laughs> you know, really, this is not the time to give the CBC a hard time. Yeah, I, I'll give them a hard time. Um, okay, so, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think that lots of things can be true at once. I think it's true that yes. um, the way that they've, uh, and this is because of, uh, I think, because of starving the regions of resources and creating this hub and trying to find synergies. They do have this bottleneck where they're used to a certain amount of live feeds coming from the regions, and all of a sudden they were getting drowned in, you know, every premier and mayor was doing uh, a press conference, and the Toronto headquarters couldn't technically handle all these live feeds, and it became a juggling act, and perhaps there was some emergency where they just, you know what, let's just shut it down for a week. I don't doubt that that happened, mm -hmm. but I also think it's very clear that they were using this as an excuse to do something. And I'm, I'm not just speculating there. I, I have been trying to get as much information as I can. As usual, it backfired because the management is terrible there. I think they thought that they could kind of like, okay, you know what? We've been looking for a way to get rid of this or really drastically minimize this for a long time. People will be understanding during this crisis that, that and they weren't, you know, just it's such yeah. a bad look. Yeah. We're shutting down local news coverage during this crisis. That's a yeah, bad idea. Yeah, people didn't like and, that. Very unhappy. Yeah. So they backpedaled very quickly. And here's Catherine Tate on Metro Morning in the initial stages of that backpedaling. And since that date, it was March 17th, since that date, we have been restoring more and more local uh, news uh, each day. And so people are seeing now their anchors are back on air and, uh, and, and we're improving the service uh, each day. So there it was, uh, Catherine Tate saying that, 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 you know, that was a momentary blip and that the local anchors are coming back. Here is what somebody who works uh, on one of those local TV news teams told me. And of course, they've asked me not to use their name because they want to keep their job. Catherine Tate is lying. Oh. She said the local supper hours were coming back. It's not true. PEI is back in Newfoundland too, but the rest of the shows are a regional mishmash. And so what I understand is happening is that, is that the full supper hour and late night broadcasts are not back. They are not back, that they're finding ways to integrate those local anchors in kind of mishmashy regional um, broadcasts, but that those shows are not back. And I think we're going to keep a close eye on it to see if they actually do come back, because I do think that they have been looking for a way to get rid of this for a while now. Oh, OK. OK. Well, people really like their anchors. They really like their people in the community. In Fredericton, Harry Forrestal is a local person that you see at the grocery store. I mean, he's just... Yeah you know, very well liked and he's a great interviewer. And so if they don't bring him back, there's going to be a lot of criticism. So we'll see. It's still early. We'll see. Well, I think, Jan, they can bring back those like very visible, you know, the actual on-air personality and give the sense, okay, here's your local person back. But that person might not have a team any longer or reporters mm -hmm. in the field. They might just be contributing uh, reports to a centralized broadcast. And you know what? I, I think that this has been mishandled terribly, but I will say this. TV news is really, really expensive to produce. Yeah. And the ratings were terrible in yeah. most markets. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree that we need local coverage more than ever. And I think that all those journalists absolutely care about what they're doing and by and large do a terrific job with the resources they have. I don't know if maintaining those broadcasts is the best choice 
for the CBC. Wow. Like I, I kind of suggest that there might be, we might get a lot more original news reporting if they were contributing online and TV was just a channel that was putting together, sure, like it, like find a way to package local stuff into some kind of a TV product, but prioritize the online coverage. It's what I would do if I was running that place. Uh, yes. But- yeah, because people aren't sitting down at six o'clock and watching TV. I mean, the the whole habit has changed on how you consume news. They People want to see it when they feel like it. So yeah, the fixed schedule newscasts, I think is the audience is dropping. So they'll have to figure it out. I hope they figure it out because a lot of my best students are working there and they're doing such a great job. And if you don't have local reporters digging around, you're not going to get the coverage that every community deserves. You need to have reporters in every community or you're going to end up with corruption. We already have corruption, but you're going to end up with worse corruption, with a waste of government funds with people suffering and nobody cares. So that's why we really need reporters. So how the CBC sorts it all out in the end is going to be significant for small town Canada across the country. I mean, we're not all just living in Toronto. Yeah, and and actually out east, it's bad for other reasons. CBC is not the only, uh, CBC management is not the only media management that I think is cynically taking advantage of this. Saltwire, the biggest uh, newspaper chain in Atlantic Canada, is laying off 40% of its workforce for up to three months, claiming this crisis is the reason why. In Quebec, uh, 143 newspaper employees at um, Capital Media, I think that's how it's pronounced, which is what it used to be called, the National Cooperative of Independent Information is the new moniker. Uh, 143 of its 350 employees have been laid off. Uh, the Georgia Strait, yeah, they have laid off workers. Uh, they just acquired by this new weed publishing marketing company. Oh, and they told them by email. They were yeah. those employees were notified by an email. You're done. I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, I guess we're doing everything remotely, but you can at least pick up a phone and call people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this is this is really like when this is all said and done, we are going to have a lot fewer reporters. And I think that there are going to be closures of actual publications. Uh, yeah, th- this is bad. It's bad. It's bad. Of course, many, many businesses are not going to make it through this coronavirus shutdown. Many, many small businesses are not going to make it. It's very hard, but I don't see any alternative. I think we have to shut everything down or we will end up like Italy. Getting word as we talk, Jan, that uh, Trudeau has announced supporting measures for the media during this time. Of course, huh. lots of issues with with accepting government aid, but uh, we'll, we'll see what that entails. The oh, details okay. are forthcoming. Maybe he'll send you a check. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, Jesse you know, Brown, I'm $10 really... million. Dollars. <laughs> you know, you, you could probably get me to reverse my no government money stance for $10 million. <laughs> like, I... I do have a price, but I doubt that what's going to be on offer is going to be enough. Ask for I, fifteen I, I, million. Ask for fifteen. Fifteen. Okay, for fifteen million, <laughs> I'll, I'll. But no, we're not taking it. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than two hundred thousand Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there. A lot of mattress liars. And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what 
Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Jen, in this absolutely obsessively monofocused uh, coronavirus perpetual news cycle, it is easy to lose sight of other stuff in the media that should go duly noted or even lesser noticed coronavirus-related content that should go duly noted. What Mm -hmm. do you have to duly note for us today? Well, I'm afraid it's still coronavirus related. I I keep comparing Trump and Trudeau. And I wasn't a huge fan of Trudeau, but the way he's handled it, this crisis, my opinion of him has gone up, especially knowing that he's taking care of his kids uh, by himself with no help and trying to run the country. So, you know, my opinion of him has gone up somewhat, and I compare him to Trump. And I just... I mean, I I felt like I had to eat a whole bag of Cheetos when Trump got elected in 2016. But now I just, my jaw drops all the time with Trump. And the scary thing is we're right next to the U.S. And he keeps doing the worst possible. Everything he does is like the worst possible, unimaginable move. And I just don't know. I mean, I guess we can just hope that, you know, maybe he gets coronavirus. So that's my comparison. Every day I hear Trudeau give a press conference, and every day Trump gives a two-hour political rally in which he talks about how great he is. And the media in the U.S. are covering it, which is shocking to me. Like, nobody has any brains to say, we're not covering this. There's no news coming out of this. We're not covering it. Or we'll send a poll reporter. You know, just give us the lead. Otherwise, we don't want it. So that's my duly noted. Duly noted. I have a, a similar but very different take on uh, on our prime minister to duly note. You know, I think I started off on the same on the same page as you, feeling like he's doing a, a fairly decent job of this. And so when I logged on the other night and saw all of these conservative memes and conservative takes saying Trudeau is a tyrant, Trudeau's a despot, Trudeau's power grab, I just thought, you know, fuck off with this partisan nonsense. Like, what are you going on about? I'm sure you're blowing right. this out of proportion. What is this based on? And then <laughs> I clicked through. Yeah. And they were right. Yeah, they They were were right. right. They were right. I know, but I still feel like he's taking care of his kids. Yeah, he wanted all this fiscal power to go to the end of 2021 or something. Like, no one's expecting the virus to last that long. Yeah, that was bad. 
And I think yeah. he should not have done that. And I'm glad he got his hand slapped. And, and now they're working together again. So that's why it's great. It's a minority government. It's really important. Canadians think it's so terrible that we have a minority government. No, this is way more representative of the way the country feels. So good for the opposition. It was like a soft coup. It was a very Canadian coup. He was like, yes, very hey, soft. just testing the <laughs> waters here. You know, yeah. it's a really it's a really troubling time. What does everybody feel? Like, <laughs> how does everybody feel about the idea of my government basically not needing anyone else's permission to tax as much as we want and spend on whatever we want with no oversight, without any opposition input? Uh, you know, if I were just like to kind of become the all-powerful, despotic, tyrannical leader of this country until the end of next year. Right. How do you feel about that? Well, that's interesting because that's exactly what Trump, what the Republicans were trying to do too. They were trying to pass this huge bill, give all the money to corporations with no strings attached and no oversight. So isn't it interesting? Well, I compare Trump and Trudeau. Actually, they were both trying to pull off the same coup. <laughs> so good for you, Jesse Brown. When I got a little soft in the head, you pulled me right back. Duly noted. Okay, Jan, the last thing I want to do in our conversation today is just uh, recognize the fact that this, uh, the very real and physical aspect of this, like it, it, it does seem like Canada's newsrooms are disproportionately, I mean, I kind of hope it's disproportionate. Mm. The number of directly impacted newsrooms that have had direct exposure to coronavirus is pretty alarming to me. We have a member of the team at Bell Media tested positive for coronavirus for COVID-19 and the third floor of Bell Media's Toronto studios temporarily closed. Global News, they received a letter from Toronto Public Health informing them that they may have been exposed to the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. In fact, two members of Global News tested positive for COVID-19 at TVO. Here's uh, a tweet from Jennifer Hishelwood. You will see a repeat broadcast of tonight's The Agenda with Steve Pakin. That's because one of our employees has tested positive. Mm-hmm. We're having the yeah. studio sanitized today and preparing to move the agenda onto a platform that will allow us to broadcast remotely from Steve's home. You know, I think, I think that part of the CBC thing with TV is that TV is the one medium where it is very difficult to broadcast remotely, to have everybody working from home. People do have yeah. to come into a studio yeah. for TV to go on as usual. And then global news... They had a case as well, and they turned it into content. Here's what that sounded like. And after the break, a member of the Global News family diagnosed with COVID-19, a first-hand account of living with the virus. That's next. So that was Global News. Uh, you'll have to tune in to find out who it is. It was their meteorologist. It seems like he's doing okay. There was another global journalist uh, who also has tested positive for coronavirus. So, you know, I don't know if it's the question of um, journalists traveling as much as we do. I don't know if it's journalists who are putting themselves into like healthcare situations. I, I, I don't know what it is that's leading to all of these infections, uh, which, you know, again, maybe that's just uh, representative of the public at large. No, it's our job. It's our job. So can I talk about myself for a teensy moment? I know you don't like when journalists talk about themselves, but when I was covering SARS, I didn't know any better. And I ran around the hospital trying to find the original SARS uh, patients. I didn't understand what I was dealing with. So I had to go into quarantine, but I I didn't get sick. But the point is I was actually trying to talk to the people who had SARS. And I think when journalists we're very similar to first responders, only nobody cares about us. 
and nobody gives us Aww. equipment. And, you know, we're supposed to run right in there. And so journalists are going to the press conferences and there's, it's naturally a cluster, right? Of people. And we're yeah. naturally running off to interview people. And so it's not surprising that a disproportionate, if it's true, that a disproportionate number of journalists have gotten it. And that's part of our, our job is we have to expose ourselves to danger. I mean, you just have to, otherwise you can't cover it. But I do think the organizations are, are learning and, and encouraging everyone to work remotely. And we're accepting that we have to do phone interviews, which are, of course, not as good as face-to-face, but it'll do for now. So I, I think the public doesn't understand that we're just like the firemen. If there's a fire, we also run to it. And we also get as close as we can to talk to people and take pictures. So the virus is no different. We're, we're, we have to go right in there because it's our job. It's our responsibility to get the news. So it would be nice if we weren't all getting laid off. Yeah, that would be good. And, you know, I, I think that there is a balance. I think that, that the core principles of, you know, yeah, sometimes you do have to run towards the danger. And yes, you publish no matter what, as long as you can, we're here to tell the story. You know, I, I believe in those things. And I also feel like that management should be mitigating the risks in any way that they can. And I think that uh, it's okay if Steve Pakin broadcasts from his home. And that, that's sort of why I feel s- sympathy for some of these uh, just decisions being made about uh, TV broadcasts. I think that we, yeah. that kind of ethic and those ideals should not ever be used as an excuse to put employees in, in the way of undue harm. That's right. But I think we do need to still do our jobs. By the way, we remain interested in reporting out how media management is handling this and if there are any problems or issues that people are having where they feel like they're being put in an unsafe situation. Please let us know. We don't need to use your name. Email us information at editor at com. I remember uh, during SARS, I was going to, I actually made a reservation at the Hong Kong hotel where the first SARS patient was. And I said, I want to be on that floor. And the hotel receptionist was quite shocked. And I was all ready to go off. My, my editors were all ready to send me off. And a infectious disease expert said, you can't go. You just can't go. And I said, uh-huh. yeah, but I got to get there. I got to get there. And he said, yeah, well, what if you kill people when you come back? And I went, okay, I'm not going, but yeah. That's what made me stop and think. But we often forget in the newsroom about the dangers because we're so anxious to get the story. And and that's good. But we do need sober thought, right, about the danger for people. So I think there is a journalist. There's two journalists who died in the U.S. One young guy from Africa who was in New York and um, somebody from a TV station. We need to be very careful, but we also need to cover the story. We just have we have to do it. Yeah. Jen, thank you. Well, thank you. That was really very uh, thought-provoking, and I'm glad you pulled me back from my soft brain admiration for Trudeau. That was <laughs> that was very risky. That's worse than the coronavirus. <laughs> you know, we, we can't have you saying nice things about elected leaders. It's, uh, it's a bad luck for all of us. Yeah, it's a bad luck. Thank you for waking me up. Can I say one more thing about all these people broadcasting from their homes? I love it. I love looking at Anderson Cooper's library. (laughs) It's great. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts, everybody. Listen, uh, as I said before, you can support us uh, by clicking the link in your show notes or going to canadalandshow.com slash join or by emailing us money at support at canadalandshow.com. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. And we're on Twitter at Canadaland. Jen, where can people find you? At Writer Wong 
on Twitter, at Writer Wong. Our website is canadalandshow.com, and boy, do we have podcasts for you. We are publishing these isolation interviews, Cool Mules. We have uh, a new oppo this week. There's a new episode of Wag the Doug with one of the best titles that I think we've released. It's uh, titled Doug in the Time of Cholera. <laughs> We're very proud of that. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. They're the reason why we can be heard on dozens of campus and community radio stations across this country. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.